IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our website, pureintellikey.com. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Well, welcome back, friends, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories. I'm Mark Stenson. I'm here with my co-host, Kirsten Gouldy. Hi, Mark. We're glad to be back again with you for another episode. Continuing our conversation about this idea of conscious leadership. And we just have a wonderful guest to talk about that with today, Lynn Yap. Lynn, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. And Lynn's a founder of the Activate Network. And she's the author of a brand new book that's just out on Amazon and in your local bookstore called The Altruistic Capitalist. And maybe, Lynn, that'd just be a great place to start is this title, The Altruistic Capitalist. <laughs> Indeed. I did intentionally choose a title. I wanted to make people think like, oh, what is the altruistic capitalist, you know? So bringing two ideas that are completely opposite of each other. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Mark said before the show was. He's like these two words together. <laughs> Which makes it perfect. And then even the subtitle, you know, that can you lead for purpose and profit? So maybe you could tell us about some of those forces and, you know, really, I guess, market forces and social forces that are at work here. Mm-hmm. And to pull on your point about the subtitle, how to lead for purpose. So it's purpose first, and then the profit follows after that, right? So if you understand what your purpose is, what drives you and your organization, what are the values that motivate your organization, and follow those, your profit comes after that. So instead of leading from, all right, how is it that we're going to grow the top line and how is it we're going to grow the bottom line, you miss out on a lot of other things that the other stakeholders that are involved in your business. The other important stakeholders, of course, are the people. We always talk about how important people are, but if we lead, for instance, cost cutting, let's say, let's talk about in a turnaround business, first things that usually go are, are the people. And that really doesn't retain the full value of your business. Another thing that is an important stakeholder, partner suppliers, that is another important stakeholder. If you keep squeezing and focus on the profit first, you are not going to build your business sustainably for the long term. And then, of course, there is your investors that has always been an important stakeholder for businesses. But if you think more long term with them, and you think more in terms of purpose, that is also going to scale your business in, a, in the long term. And then, of course, there's the environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these forces, they have been mutually exclusive. It seemed like companies believed if I'm doing good, I won't be able to be profitable. Or investors would look at a company and say, look, if, if they're focused on these other uh, environmental goals or people goals, then they're not going to be a good investment. Is that changing? I'm not sure if it's changing so much as we're realizing it is not a trade-off situation. We don't have to have somebody win at a loss of somebody else. We need to start thinking in terms of a win-win situation. How can we maximize the value for everyone? Uh, Now, a recent partnership that I found was very interesting. I used to work at Adidas and I was part of the team that managed all the partnerships with, uh, with different startups to maximize value and develop new innovations. Now, this whole idea of sharing intellectual properties, working with partners that are complementary in assets, in, in skill sets, is one that is part of that win-win mindset. So recently, Adidas partnered up with Allbirds 
both produced sneakers. And in the past, we would think like, that makes absolutely no sense. Why would you open up your secret sauce and share with each other your, your trade secrets, right? But what they, what they did was, look, we have a common purpose. We want to reduce the carbon emissions for producing a shoe, for producing a sneaker, for producing a running shoe. And we also, we are very transparent. So from an organizational perspective, both organizations focus very much on collaboration. They're very open and there's very candid communication that goes on with their partner suppliers as well as their employees. And I think this is the mindset rather than, oh, if I'm winning, then you are going to lose. This is the mindset of, look, we need to work together. We have complementary skill sets and assets that we can solve a problem that's related, whether it's related to the climate or related to diversity, for instance. Fascinating. So you used several words, but I'm going to point to three. Collaboration, candid, transparency, right? Mm -hmm. And when I think of Wall Street and I think of shareholders and I think of C-suite, those aren't exactly the words that come to the forefront with for me, right? Because you're right. You talk about that IP, right? That intellectual property, that secret sauce, that, that's their value up. That's what keeps them the leader in what they're doing. What has been the catalyst, right? What KPIs are around showing that collaboration, candidness, and transparency really makes for a much greater outcome? Good question. I'm not sure if there are particular KPIs that companies are measuring to see how collaborative people are, but we are seeing increasingly in the corporate space that companies are collaborating with each other, large companies with themselves, and there's also large companies with startups. We also have companies with, with NGOs, for instance, on the impact space for different reasons, right? They, they, you might partner I'm going to go into different examples if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Company, companies going partnering with NGOs, for instance, that helps to give them credibility in a particular space. So let's say I'm working on an NGO that, that focuses on homelessness, for instance, that gives me the corporate a little bit more credibility in that space. The NGO might have certain expertise in solving for the causes, which is not my area of expertise as the, as the company. But, you know, together we can combine my economic assets, for instance, or my distribution network or something like that with the knowledge of the NGO in order to create a win-win solution. So that's the benefit of, of partnership. And we're seeing that increasingly more and more. And from the corporate and from the startup perspective, that is also mutually beneficial because, for instance, a, a startup is much more agile, much faster than any large corporation ship can be in coming up with solutions and making decisions and overcoming challenges. So that's another area where we see a lot of partnerships starting to happen for innovation and to solve social problems together. And, you know, a lot of this uh, work in altruism used to come from these capitalists who might have been, you know, enlightened, but rather now it seems to be the force is from the bottom up, from the society and the customers up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, we are not just an investor. We are not just an employee. We're not just a, a supplier. We have multiple roles that we play. We, you know, we want to buy from a company that is more sustainable. We want to work for a company that focuses on the long term and takes care of its employees. We want to work with suppliers who source their supply chain uh, sustainably. So we are all these different 
uh, we wear these different hats and we are demanding as individuals in our different roles for more sustainable businesses. This conversation makes me so happy, right? Because I mean, as you were, we were talking about, you know, the employees and the customers pushing, I'm like, the cream is rising to the top, you know, like they, they, this is, this is what it should be. We should all be working on this together. And I, it's really satisfying to hear that it's really happening right? It's no longer an ideal or, you know, hopefully or a philosophy out of the colleges with these, you know, brilliant professors saying this would be good if we did it. Your proof yes. that it's really happening. Yes. There's a couple of things, really. One, there's a lot of studies as to the economic benefit that it actually adds to business, whether that's related to employee engagement, reduction in attrition rates, increase in innovation and creativity, because when the teams feel more that their work has meaning, you are more engaged and you bring your highest potential, you bring your highest self to work. And that enables companies to serve customers better, to develop better products, to be more innovative, to be more creative. So there is a lot of economic value that comes from business as a force for good. And secondly, the World Economic Forum, going back to perhaps metrics and, and KPIs, they proposed 21 stakeholder capitalism metrics in September of last year. And that relates everything going from the planet, the environment, people, so diversity, gender, pay gap. But they also go into things such as how many jobs are you creating in your community? How much taxes are you paying in your community? How much investment are you putting into research for the community. So there's a lot of other stake metrics that's related to looking at business, the business's stakeholders overall, and how you're bringing value to these stakeholders. And more on that, the World Economic Forum is also working with international accounting standards boards and regulatory authorities to make these mandatory in financial statements, which I think is fantastic because it that uh, is huge. I'm, mm -hmm. I wish I, uh, I was not aware of so that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that is huge. Yeah. Having created many financial statements, public company financial statements, I would have been so excited to write those. I dreaded writing these other parts, right? This I would have been excited <laughs> to write. Yeah, yes, finally, you know, it's not just assets and liabilities, but you also see what is the impact the company has on the environment, on employees, suppliers as well. There is also governance metrics in within, within this, this list. Yes, and so that is in the process of standardizing it across organizations because we have companies now that are, you know, some are publishing their own sustainability reports, but there's no consistency in these reports. So what is good about this standard is not only that it's mandatory, but now it's more consistent. I don't have to read multiple ones and try and um, adjust yeah. to, to make sure that apples are apples and oranges are oranges. And in your research for the book, I'm curious if any specific examples came out that we could look to as standards for what an altruistic capitalist, uh, either person or corporation looks like. Uh, I had lots of interviews. I did 50 plus interviews for the book and I broke up the altruistic capitalist leader into three mindsets. It's a, sort of like a roadmap and, and a how to, to get there. And under each of these three mindsets, I, I shared the practices that I got from these interviews in terms of how people could then take inspiration from these examples and, and stories to create their own practices within the organizations. So the three mindsets are mindfulness, curiosity, and grit. 
and grit relates to pulling back on you know your passion knowing what your purpose is and persevering through as your goal and that comes from partnering with others so that's the the lower roadmap start with mindfulness curiosity is a little bit like your tool set like how you develop questions and then to really scale your impact it's through collaborating and partnering with others can you speak a little bit more to the grit? I, I'm curious, one, why you chose that word, because I'm fascinated, but you're right. Mm-hmm. It does take grit to be successful. There is something there. So why you chose that word, but go a little bit deeper. Would you mind exploring that with us? Of course. So grit, as defined by Angela Duckworth, and you might be familiar with her work, grit, it's a combination of passion and perseverance. In the book, I, I use that definition passion already we explore that comes from being mindful. When you are mindful, you understand your purpose, you understand what what your values are. So you have this North Star, if you like, of where you want to go in terms of where you're delivering value to the world. Perseverance, I unpack that a little bit more in the book in the form of partnerships. How is it that once you have your purpose and you know what your strategy and your goals are for the business, how you can actually scale that impact. And I talk about that in terms of scaling impact through partnerships and collaboration, which requires, of course, I see it like when you partner, when you partner, whether it's an NGO, uh, a startup or another company, I think about it as like in a relationship. You have to have candid communication. You need to align with each other, what your expectations are, what are you bringing to the relationship? And you need not be equal because an NGO and a startup will not have equal financial contribution, for instance, but we can have fair fair and equitable contribution in different ways. That's brilliant. And this is really Mark's favorite part because this is where the action comes. You can have passion, but unbridled passion doesn't enable you to put it into existence. It just, it's just where the spark is. It's where the joy is, but mm-hmm. you have to build it. So I, I love that you bridge the idea to the outcome. Mm-hmm. And the thing about when you partner, you have more accountability because there's someone else. Very in that true, network. isn't it? Does the corporation partnering with the NGO, does the NGO become almost the conscience? You know, that that's the, the little voice on your shoulder saying this is the right thing to do, that this is the cause. Yeah, I, I think a little bit perhaps, but it's also, like I said, to, to give them expertise and understanding at, more into what the problem is that they're solving. Because you're already partnering mm-hmm. with NGO because you have a conscience and you want to be able to help solve problem, whether it's um, increasing diversity, for instance, or in reducing inequalities in your organization. You partner, say, with, with an NGO that's focused on, on that to increase diversity. I want to give an example of a woman I interviewed for the book, and she has a lot of grit, so much passion to alleviate the problems of displaced professionals, of, of refugees, through through her work. Her social enterprise is called PAS, P-A-Z, as in peace in Spanish, and she's solving for two problems, essentially. One, giving back the refugees' dignity by providing them well-paying jobs, jobs that are able to give them a sustainable lifestyle. And second, on the other hand, companies who are short on diverse tech talent. So what her company does is she trains them up in tech skills and then helps to integrate these refugees into companies. So the companies then have a diverse pool, but 
also has the assurance that okay, we are able to then integrate this group of people into the company successfully. Because one thing is having diversity, but another thing is inclusion. So she has both of that within her program. So good. Well, Lynn, I think we would be remiss if we didn't explore your own personal path and journey. Why are you interested in this? And what has driven you to pursue this research and then to publish this book? What's your personal drive? That's a, that's a good question. And thank you for asking. So I have a very traditional business background. I um, graduated from Morton with an MBA. I, I was a corporate attorney and I went into investment banking. And taking you back to May of 2012, so this was after the last financial crisis mm-hmm. of 2008, I was working in te- tech investment banking, helping startups, tech startups go public, working on the IPOs. And at that time, my team had been chasing Facebook for a while. And in May of 2012, there was just a few weeks away from the IPO. They were about to go and do the roadshow. All the banks wanted to be part of the IPO because it was one, it was like the biggest tech deal at the time, very prestigious. Everyone wanted a name on the S1. And my grandmother got ill. She got sick. Um, She lived in Malaysia. I I live in New York. So I, I hadn't been home to see her in over a year at that point in time. I go to the team lead and I say, look, this is the situation. I would like to go home to see my grandmother to at least say goodbye. And without missing a heartbeat, it was like, no, you can't go. Facebook is going to go public. We can't risk the deal, you know, not going smoothly if you just go off because I have been leaning that on, on the ground and making to make sure that things were okay. And so I was torn at that point, do I stay uh, and, and sacrifice and, and, and sacrifice my duty to my family uh, or do I go home to Malaysia and, and then, um, you know, I feel very committed as well to my, to my work. Um, so it was a difficult time for me, a difficult decision to, to make, but ultimately I decided to stay, um, took Facebook on the road, did, did the whole IPO um, thing and I, I, my grandmother passed away. I didn't even get a chance to go home for a funeral because there was so much going on with a roadshow. Typically a roadshow takes like, takes like two weeks and then there's like a few days after the IPO where there's a lot of things going on. So I didn't um, go back for her funeral. I didn't get to say goodbye. Quite sh- shortly after that, I actually left investment banking. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good with reading all the financial statements I could and I see uh, these rows of numbers but you know we talk about how people are so important in our business but we don't see the impact of the things that we say the 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 culture of a company on our teams on our people and we we are supposed to value our people so i i left i i I took a a job in in innovation and slightly with with less hours and started to invest time in volunteer work to to understand more as to how i can contribute I can contribute and give back to society because I felt I felt really guilty. It took me a very long time to get over the guilt of the decision that I had made. So that was my little path into, okay, how is it that businesses can be used as a force for good? And it started from that. Mm-hmm. You know, what's so beautiful about what you just shared is, and thank you for sharing that because it's very heartfelt and I don't know a person that has worked in corporate that can't relate to that at some level at a point in time in a career that has had to face that. And at the same time, the fact that you had the courage to shift 
and take that experience so it doesn't have to happen again and to other people. I just, I wanted to acknowledge that for it doesn't diminish the pain, but it does enable us to have an impact moving forward, those level of experiences. And I suspect that your grandmother, I won't do it on the show, Mark knows I'm a medium, so stuff comes through, but I suspect your grandmother is incredibly grateful for the work you're doing. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you very much. And I think about not only that story and others that have faced it, but we're facing the challenge now in the corporate world and in the employee relations, human resources, you know, that, that people are deciding, do I want to go back to work? As in, do I want to go back to what it was last year? I was in the office. I didn't have enough free time. My family was being sacrificed because of the very issues you're describing. What do you think about that in terms of if we can look over the horizon and see, will it be any different now that we've had this sort of now lockdown work at home experience? Will executives, will the boards look at things differently? I think it's a great opportunity right now. I, I'm a very optimistic and hopeful person with a business background. And so I think this is a perfect opportunity for companies to shift and to change how they operate, how they relate to employees, to their supplier partners, to, to customers, to the environment for so many reasons. One, our climate crisis, our inequality crisis, that's reaching critical points and businesses need to do something it's not going to be good for business, right? If the environment is suffering, everything is going to be more expensive. Businesses need to take action to be more sustainable because otherwise, uh, it was, how can you source your materials? Because everything's going to be so much harder to obtain, to get and, and to deliver the products and services that you need. We have to shift as businesses. We have to think of everyone and the planet. Secondly, investors, the money that went into impact investing doubled last year during the crisis because we are investors, as I mentioned before, ourselves, and we want to put our money into good. So for companies as well, whether you're going for public financing or private financing, you have to start thinking about being more sustainable. Uh, I mean, there are multiple levels in this altruistic capitalist world. There is the do no harm things like I'm just going to be ethically correct, but we're talking about creating value that you're trying to actually reduce your carbon footprint and, and actually help or you're trying to reduce inequality. There are so many areas which we can add value as businesses and investors are starting to look for that, not just I'm going to pay my taxes and <laughs> be done with it kind of thing. We have to go that extra level. And that's what investors are looking for too. That's another area where businesses have to shift. Well, so I think that's important, that, right? Yeah. But just as you were describing things, I couldn't help but hear the word crisis. You know, that there was a financial crisis, there's a health crisis, there's an environmental crisis, there's an employee crisis. And that somehow we wait until it's a crisis. And it was just an interesting, when I was hearing this word, it's like, why are we waiting for it to become an absolute crisis before we address it? Because humans are like that. Mm -hmm. we, um, <laughs> we need this catalyst. When, when we want change to happen, we have to have this event, this catalytic event that says, uh, that wakes us up a little bit. It's like, oh, wait, this is not working. <laughs> we need to shift. 
if we were all so good and reflective all the time, it's like, what is working and what is not, then we it wouldn't get to that point of being a crisis where we then like, okay, we need to change how things go now. So it's foreshadowing a bit into the future. There will be a point at which there will be companies that do not take the shift and they take their stand, you know, including to Mark's question about how do we treat business going forward out of COVID, but also those who just still are not aligned with this idea of impact and sustain, like all of those components. How do you see the companies surviving? Um, so the companies that do not shift their, mm -hmm, do not mm -hmm. shift their practices. Yes. yes. I think it'll be quite hard for them to, to grow in the long term because customers are looking to buy more sustainable products to work with companies who are more diverse. I've, I've had conversations with clients where they say, what is your diversity makeup of your team, for instance? Why am I only seeing a certain uh, ethnicity or a certain gender? I, I want to also work with a diverse team because that changes the conversation in a particular project, for instance. So I think if you do not start rethinking of how you do your business in a more sustainable way. And when I say it's more sustainable, that's in terms of people and planet, then you're going to let get left behind. You will lose your edge. You will lose your competitive advantage and you will have to be authentic about it. You just can't just, you can't just say, oh yeah, we're, we're doing this. It yeah. doesn't then, work then, anymore. It's not working. Right. They, people are, companies are actually being called out real time for, right. yeah. you know, their marketing versus what is. Yes, yes. And I, I talk about a little bit like, okay, that's a do no harm. So that's like the base level. But then, then there's like maybe the next level where it's just, okay, I, I have a little bit of philanthropy. I'm going to donate some money at the end of the year during Christmas or something like that. And that's your next level. But really, I think moving forward, companies and businesses will have to be at that next level, which is adding value across in terms of people and planet type issues. That's a great visual that you've gone from do no harm to philanthropy, which is great. Make a donation, support a cause, but to the next is to be more active and take that step. Yeah, very good. Lynn, what a delightful conversation. It's really been insightful too. I've learned so much. Clearly the research and the rigor in developing this book shows tremendously. So readers, and listeners, you definitely want to get a copy because there's a lot of research-based findings in this book for sure. So Len, direct us to uh, how we find out more about you, the book, and your work. Well, you can find me on altruisticcapitalist.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, Lynn Yap, L-Y-N-N-Y-A-P. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Altruistic Capitalist. So these are the different ways in which you can connect with me. Yeah, uh, we will definitely do that. And we'd love to continue the conversation and learn how things are developing and maybe learn some lessons from the executives who are actually putting some of this in practice and the companies and how they're winning. So we'll, we'll be back. We'll be back to you, I'm sure. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> and listeners, continue to come back to our podcast. Even in our next episode, we'll be continuing conversations about this conscious leadership and this idea that you can fulfill your own potential and achieve your own goals while doing good for the people and the planet. Kirsten, as we continue this conversation about IntelliKey, we have a sense that this is not just a key performance indicator like we tease each other about, but it really is a human potential indicator, isn't it? It really is. And it's so exciting. You know, you and I have talked about this idea of potential. Everything has a soul. A business has a soul. The earth has a soul. And 
even Lynn, being in a conversation with you, that you can feel that something about the soul of what's coming is being elevated. There's an evolution that we're stepping into and it's being harnessed. And it's exciting because it's, it's here, but we haven't quite unfolded yet exactly what it's going to look like in the future. So listeners, please join our conversation. Go to your podcast player and leave us a review or comments or ratings. We'd really appreciate it. And of course, then join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. For Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stinson. Connect with us on LinkedIn. And for more information on courses and consulting, visit pureintellikey.com. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of Intellikey Leadership Stories, unlocking your world of creativity, and thepeaceroom.love. Our podcasts are hosted on Captivate.fm and available anywhere in the world, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Ghana, and iHeartRadio.